the, the theme today is when people ask questions about the Bible, does the Bible hold up? And, and I think that's a legitimate question. I think a lot of folks, when you're having discussions about God, eventually you get to the Bible. Because uh, I don't care if you've been following Christ your whole life. There are times that the Bible can be difficult. And there are a lot of people that just say, I can't handle all the questions that people have about the Bible. Uh, those of you that went to Indiana University, you know that your professors didn't lift the Bible up with the highest standard. Uh, and so there's a lot of confusion out there. So that's what we're going to get into this morning. I love what the Bible says about the Bible. Psalms uh, 33.4, the word of the Lord is right and true, and he is faithful in all he does. I love that, that the word of God is right and true and worthy of faith. We can put our faith in the scripture. Let's pray. God, we want to get in your word this morning. We want to bring honor to you. We know uh, that there are a lot of questions about the Bible, but Lord, we put our faith in you. Uh, we put our faith in your word, and it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Now, I'm going to share a name that uh, you've got to be of a certain age to even know who this guy is. Uh, most people know him because he, he did a late night show and he had a really bad toupee. But his name was Ted Koppel. And uh, if you've ever uh, listened to Ted Koppel, he would do a news show on uh, just the, the updated news each evening. Uh, but back in 1987, he did something that went viral before viral was even a thing. And uh, what he did is he spoke at the graduation for Duke University at a college. And of all things, he got into moral absolutes. Now imagine that at a college graduation. And I, I just want to read a segment because uh, one of the things he was driving at, and I thought was really important, he said the media and, and, and all that's surrounded by the media, there are so many voices and people are drawing moral conclusion from these voices. Uh, we need absolute truth. So I just want to share briefly what he said. Uh, we... Uh, require nothing of you. That's the media talking to the general public. Only that you watch, and uh, we want you to watch enough so that if Mr. Nielsen calls you, you can say you were watching our show. But media has trickled into the American psyche. We have actually convinced ourselves that slogans will save us. Shoot up if you must, but use a clean needle. Enjoy sex whenever or whomever you wish, just wear a condom? The answer is no. Not because it isn't cool or smart or because you might end up in or dying of AIDS. No, it's because it's wrong. We now communicate with everyone and we say absolutely nothing. We've reconstructed the Tower of Babel, a thousand voices producing, producing a daily parody in which everyone's opinion is afforded equal weight regardless of substance or merit. Now, this is what I love. We need to understand that what Moses brought down from Mount Sinai were not ten suggestions. They were ten commandments. You can see why it went viral. That's, that's not a popular message. I mean, how can, we, how can we have absolute truth? We would rather have countless options. And so it's understandable that there are folks that stand back and they begin to challenge the Scripture. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Three basic challenges that people have for Scripture. Here's the first challenge. The New Testament was written too late to be reliable history. 
The challenge is that the New Testament, is it actually reliable? 1 John 1.1 says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at, and with our own hands have touched. The events recorded in Scripture, particularly in the New Testament, are based primarily on direct eyewitness testimony. That text we just read, did you hear what John said? We are writing down what we heard, the very words of Jesus, what we saw, and that we actually touched Jesus Christ. We need to understand the power of the eyewitnesses that recorded the New Testament and why it is so relevant. Now, just a little slice if you're studying history, and when they study especially documents that are 2,000 years old, is what they try to do is get as close as they can to the original. And then there's a copy of the original and a copy of the original, uh, but the goal is to get as close as you can to the original. So if you uh, around the time of Christ, say Alexander the Great or Origen, uh, if they can get within 500 years of the original, they think that is, that is getting as close as you can get. I mean, that is excellent as far as uh, historical documentation. But they can get within 35 years from the time that Jesus Christ died and was resurrected. And they don't have just a handful of those documents. They have nearly 25,000 parchments that they can go through. There is nothing historically that even comes close to looking at and studying as those original documents. Now, here's what I love about just going back 35 years. It's like, could, we, could they possibly remember these key events in the life of Christ? So let's go back about 35 years in our lives. Uh, some of you have been around that long. Uh, that summer, 1977, I remember very well. I was getting ready to go to my senior year of high school. And that summer, there was a little movie called Star Wars. Maybe you've heard of it, okay? That came out. And uh, there was a guy named Elvis Pratt, you heard of that guy. Okay, believe it or not, there has been a lot of information since 1977. A lot of people know a lot of things. Now, I know what everybody would say. Well, but see, we have video recordings. We have so much today. They didn't have that then, which goes back to, boy, it's a shame they didn't have a lot of eyewitnesses. They did. The New Testament is reliable because God said that it's reliable. Luke 1, verses 1 through 3 says this. Listen to Luke talking about painstakingly what goes into Scripture. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by from those who were firsthand eyewitnesses and servants of the Word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. 2 Timothy 3.16 uses the word, God's word is inspired. Now, when you hear the word inspired, what do you use it the way that the, all of us in our normal everyday usage of that word, we don't use it the way that the Bible uses the word inspired. When we say inspired, we mean things like Shakespeare or Pink Floyd's album, Another Brick in the Wall. <laughs> Or Michael Jordan when he was in his prime. I mean, that, that's inspired. Or when you go home at lunch every Sunday, you're like, John's inspired. You know, that's what I mean by inspired. Okay. But when the Bible says inspired, what does it mean? God breathed. Now think about that. So what he's saying through his word, when he hears, when we see the word inspired is, we don't worship the author. We don't look at Isaiah 
or Matthew or Luke or Timothy, and we say they're inspired. No, we don't worship them at all. But we say the words that they wrote, they were inspired because they're the very breath of God. Second Peter 1, 20 and 21 says, God's word is not an impulse of man, but is guided by the Holy Spirit. And then here, here's one reason why I think this word is so important for us. And uh, it's important for us to say it's relevant. Jesus himself said in John 10, 35, that scripture cannot be broken. And how many times did Jesus, to answer a question, answer the question by saying, it is what? Written. How many times did he quote scripture? Jesus himself in no way diminished the holy word of God. Now, if Jesus thinks this is relevant, and we think Jesus is relevant, you can't have one without the other. You can't say, I love Jesus, I just don't like the Bible. Because Jesus loved the Bible. See, I think it's hard sometimes because the Bible challenges us. And I think it's easier sometimes to say, I, just, I think it's too old for us to get into it, for it to be relevant, when it truly is. The second challenge is this, the Bible is full of stories and miracles that we cannot believe. So I thought we could go so many different directions with this cold. And I think the most important thing is just to start with the greatest story ever told. And at the heart of that story is the greatest miracle of all time. And that's the story, of course, of the life of Jesus. In Micah 5.2, we read these words. Though you are small, out of you will come a ruler over all of Israel, Bethlehem. Now, that doesn't seem like a big deal. But I want you to think about that was written several hundreds years before Jesus was even born, and it even specifically tells you the little town that he would be born in, Bethlehem. At the time before the census, before Jesus was born, normally Bethlehem's population was around 500. So that would be like today, if I were to say, I have calculated that Jesus is going to come back again to Olytic, Indiana, okay? He's, he, now everybody be like, why not Bedford? I mean, just seriously, Olytic? I mean, don't even have any barbecue. I mean, I mean, we would, we would land on, no, you got to pick a bigger region. But of all the towns in all the world, specifically, they land on Bethlehem, the city of David. And that's just the beginning. If you start in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, all the way to Revelation 22, it paints this picture of Jesus. And all the way from Genesis through Malachi, there are so many, basically, prophecies or predictions of the life of Jesus. Over 70 specific messianic prophecies. Now, years ago, I see Ken Mitchell there, and I guarantee Ken read this book when he was in college. But there was a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. Uh, it's a great book. You can probably get that on Amazon for a nickel, I imagine. It's been out that long. But I'll tell you what I loved about it as I was going through that. I remember when I was in college, I was highlighting like crazy. And they were talking about these prophecies. And there was actually a book, and I love this, written by a Peter, Peter Stoner. Um, that's a terrible name, Stoner. But anyway, uh, Peter Stoner wrote Science Speaks. And uh, he said, if you took the eight most significant prophecies of Jesus, just eight of those 61 prophecies, you can actually run a formula and come up with mathematical odds 
And, and imagine that. In other words, he said, you run this formula and you can find out what are the odds that that could possibly happen hundreds of years before he was born and all of the things that, that I mentioned that actually happened, that we have historical data that Jesus did these things, that he walked on this earth, his death, burial, and resurrection, and all the eyewitnesses, and here are the odds. It's 1 in 10 with 17 zeros. Now, here's what that means. He said that would be like going uh, to the state of Texas. I have here a silver dollar. And you go to Texas, and he said you bury the entire state of Texas in two feet of silver dollars. And then you take one of them and you paint it red. And you mix it all up. And then you blindfold somebody and you'd say, you get one pick. Go find that red silver dollar. Well, our mind can't even comprehend that. Just like our mind can't comprehend all the things that God did to give us the evidence of his son. The greatest miracle of all time, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Mark Twain said this, it ain't the parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. Here's my point. Sometimes we get hung up and we hear arguments and people are trying to displace the Word of God. And i got to be honest, I think that's not the real issue. I think the real issue is, is if you give in to the Word of God, then you got to give in to the way the Word of God instructs us to live. And we'd rather just argue than live that way. Because if we're honest, if you're going to follow the Scripture and apply these principles to your life, do you think that's an easy way to live your life? Absolutely not. The Christians that walk around and tell everybody how great it is and following Jesus is just, you know, unicorns and popcorn and just, oh, just praise Jesus, praise. I mean, quit it. It's not that easy. It's hard. And when you apply these biblical principles to your job, when you apply these biblical principles to your finances, to your relationships, it's hard. I think it's easier to say, well, I think there's some issues with the Bible. Well, I think it's, it's easy to go that route than it is to actually step back and say, is this word true? Isaiah 53, 1 through 3, I absolutely love it. Starting in verse 2, it says, He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. But he was despised rejected by men, a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering, like one for whom to hide their faces, he was despised. See, as we get into the word of God, we realize this picture of Jesus isn't always a flattering picture at all. It's a suffering savior. Last of all, the word you hear a lot is the word contradictions. That People will say, well, the Bible has so many contradictions, I just can't trust it. Again, we could spend a lot of time on this, but let me just spend a few moments about these so-called contradictions. One is um, you've got to remember that there are things in Scripture that you don't take literally because they're metaphors. So, for example, when the Bible says in Isaiah 55, the trees were clapping their hands, that's not a scene out of Lord of the Rings. I don't <laughs> think they were clapping their hands, Okay. Uh, when it tells us that the mountains were, as it tells us in Psalms 114, the mountains were skipping seriously. I don't think mountains were playing jump rope. I don't think it was that literal. I think there are metaphors in Scripture. The second of all, um, I think it's important to understand that 
what we call the number game. Some people say, well, if you look at all the numbers, sometimes they don't match up. Here's probably one of the most significant arguments about uh, those that critics that say, here's a, here's a problem in Scripture. In Matthew 28, 5, at the resurrection of Jesus, Matthew records, an angel spoke to the women. An angel spoke to the women. In John 20, verse 12, it says, she, Mary, saw two white-robed angels. So you see the argument is, why would one say one angel and one say there were two angels? And the answer is, if there's two, there's always one. In other words, Matthew chose to record one of the angels spoke. John recorded there were two angels. It's not a misconception. It's not a contradiction. See, we need to understand that people are trying so hard to, to rebuke the Scripture. That again, they're not pulling back and saying, could this change my life? I read a blog. I thought this was really good. It was a professor of Old Testament practical theology. His name's David Murray. He wrote an article on Christianity.com, and this is what he said, that in his own faith journey, that there was a contradiction that he had to wrestle with. Now, here's what all Christians also need to be honest about. As you're getting into Scripture, there are times Scripture is going to stump you. And then you'll do a parallel study. And you'll think that's going to clear it up. And you're going to find out that sometimes you got to dig even deeper. Well, that's what happened to him. He said, I got into the Word, and I read Romans chapter 3 through Romans chapter 5, and the message was clear. We are saved by faith alone, not by works. Raise your hand if you've ever heard that. I hope so. Okay. And then he said, I go over to James, and I go to James chapter 2, and he says, we are righteous and justified by what we do, not by faith alone. And he said, now that's confusing. What's going on here? Is the salvation either come by God's grace or salvation come by works? Is the Bible working against itself? And then he realized the second layer of study is, look at the context. Who wrote it and who were they writing to? perspective. In Romans, the perspective was as if God is on his throne speaking to us, and God from his throne speaking to us is saying, how are you saved? Well, not by our works. It's by God's grace. We can't do anything to save ourselves. So that's very consistent. In James, it isn't God speaking from the throne. James is saying, I'm talking to you like a brother and sister. And as a brother and sister, I want you to know You've given your life to Jesus Christ. By his grace, you've been saved. Now, work. Do something about it. Practically, don't just say, I'm saved. Why don't you help the widows? Why don't you help the orphans? Why don't you practically move in motion? Perspective. If I go fishing with <clears throat> some of you that are avid fishermen, and you catch a huge bass or a hog, okay? You catch a hog, okay? You may say to me in a loud voice, get off the net. And I know what you mean by that, okay? I know what you mean by that, okay? Now, if I go home, and let's say when my kids were teenagers, and late at night, I yell at one of my kids, get off the net. Same exact sentence, totally different meaning. Perspective. When we get into the Word, and that's one of the things I love most about the Word, and we start digging deeper into the layers, and we start seeing content, it starts to take on more color. In Matthew 24, verse 25, it says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's Word lives forever. 
Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by what? Hearing. Um, I've got a picture here of uh, something that's real special to me, uh, and this isn't my only Bible. It's one that I used for a long time, and um, I used to watch my mom. That's where I picked up this habit, and so I highlight like crazy and write in my Bible. Now, I know people have criticized me, said you shouldn't write in your Bible, and I'm going to be in trouble at judgment if that's the case, because I scribble in my Bible, I write notes, uh, it's held together by duct tape, I, I just put a lot of stuff in that Bible, and I always remember, one of the things my mom used to always say is, you know, if your Bible's falling apart, then your life isn't, and her Bible was just falling apart. Matter of fact, my mom's Bible was like a lot of yours. She used to also put all kinds of newspaper clippings in there. And my mom used to say weird clippings like teenage boy gets hit by lightning, and she'd pull it out of her Bible and say, be careful when it rains today. I'm like, Mom, you're so weird, you know. Just like, like I pull that right out of the Bible. You know, I think she thought that would stump me. There's something about this Bible, and I, I can't explain it, over the years that as I get older, I put more faith in this word. That's really what all today is about. Because at the end of the day, guess what? Whether you're an atheist or not, you're putting your faith in something. So if you're going to say, I don't believe in God, okay, that's okay. I don't believe in the Bible, okay. What are you putting your faith in? And then how's that working out? Now, is the Bible perfect? I don't know. I believe it's the infallible word of God. I, I believe that with all my heart. And I believe God's done everything he can for us to draw closer to him through the word of God. Years ago, I was doing a funeral, and it was a family that uh, the, the gentleman who passed away was uh, in his 90s. Uh, his wife was still living, um, and they had been married. Are you ready for this? Uh, they had just celebrated their 73rd wedding anniversary before he passed away. And they said at the 70th wedding anniversary, he shared advice to all husbands. And he said, if you're ever in an argument with your wife, take a dive. And I said, that's worked for him. It could work, so all husbands. But here's the other advice that he gave. And I loved it because it was his daughter. And I remember her just crying, talking about her dad. And she said, probably the neatest memory is to watch the relationship my dad had with my mom and the relationship my dad had with his Bible. He took it to work all the time. Memories of him sitting at the kitchen table studying the word. And what that word meant to him and how he lived the word out changed us. We didn't watch it for a day or a week. We watched this over years and years and years. And she said, my dad used to always say, there's so much meat in the Bible, don't choke on the bones. And I think there are folks that that's what happens. They choose to choke on the bones. They, they want to find something as opposed to allowing the meat of his word and the love of Jesus Christ just pour in. And I don't know about you, but when I look at the people in life that have moved me so close to Christ and I've watched their faith and the relationship they have with the Bible, it has inspired me because of the faith they put in these pages that we can put in these pages.